So part two of Moulin Rouge, because this shit was fucking long and we have a lot of opinions. Hi, Christine. (laughs) So do we want to start with top of act two then? Yeah, probably the best staged, choreographed, and lighted number in the entire show. Yeah, if you were to take one number and make it like the poster child of Moulin Rouge, I think backstage romance would probably be pretty obvious one to choose. Yeah, well, so it's Toulouse and Nini, or no, no, it's Santiago and Nini? Yeah. Santiago and Nini. Um, And Santiago and Toulouse are probably like the least campy portion parts of the show like they're I don't know like maybe it's because their character is already so weird but they seem to like fit whatever shit they fit the mold that they were given I mean like exactly Toulouse is a bit of a drama queen but like it fits in with what the rest of his character is I think Mm -hmm. so it goes pretty well and they do bad romance doesn't at some point like I think they even though they start at, like, a big ensemble number um, exposing, like, the affair between Santiago and Nini, it, like, it ends on this scene where they're like, oh, this is actually one of the numbers for, like, the show that they're going to put on at Moulin Rouge. Yeah, basically. And and the Duke is like, I'm sorry, rah, rah, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, which no, I think is a great, great use of bad romance. Five, six. So the two primary songs in this are Bad Romance and Toxic, which I think work fairly well. They throw in Seven Nation Army, which makes no sense, but they don't even sing any lyrics for it, so it's fine. But the the dancing for this is pretty cool. And they have they basically create like allusions to the Satine Christian romance. And it's like it turns out they're at rehearsal, which is it, it's a cool just like turn of the scene. Yeah, and the like Tainted Love and Bad Romance actually mash up fairly well. So as a whole, it's like a very listenable number. Yeah. I actually really like this number. And also just, uh, we didn't actually see Robin Herter. We saw her understudy. But she has a pretty cool, like, solo dance-ish thing around um, Ricky Rojas, who plays Santiago in the beginning of this number. Because at the very beginning, it's only them two doing this kind of dance and stuff. Yeah. And it's cool because, like, everyone in the audience is like, oh, the real backstage romance is, like, Christian Right, yeah. But then... These people are also getting mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Yeah. The people that weren't cute enough to <laughs> yeah, ex- be lead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like in real life, but I mean like in the story. They're like, well, they're also <laughs> together. Whatever. Yeah. So it's poor guys. They're great though. I love them. It's an it's a really good number. I think the only one that might come close is like Chandelier, but it's a very good number. Yeah. You're bad. Oh, I, I want, want 
want your love and, and I want your revenge You and me could write a bad romance Oh, I want your love And then they have an original song Okay, I swear, I swear Come What May did not come this early in the movie Um well, so I think they did do the same thing in the movie where Christian was like, this will be our song that we sing to each other. And when we try to tell each other we love each other, some romantic shit. But I, yeah, I do think it comes a bit later. Uh, but also, I mean, they add a ton of songs in the musical mm-hmm. like they always do when they convert a movie to a musical. So it it just might be slightly off um, since there are more songs now. Yeah. Well, he's like, if ever we, I, like, one of us sings a song, you'll know that it's, like, a sign of our true love or whatever. They sing the full song. It's very good. and makes you think that, like, mm, maybe they should just wrote original songs. I know, right? But I love you. I love you. Until the end. Until Um, the other thing with Come One Mate, so fun fact, it was actually written for Baz Luhrmann's earlier film, Romeo and Juliet, even though it was never used in that movie. But because it was written for Romeo and Juliet, it wasn't eligible for the Oscars as Best Original Song. So it never got a nomination, even though it never had been released, which is hmm. low-key a little bit bullshit, but... <laughs> it's fine um i think they do it so like christian's like broke ass apartment actually has a beautiful view of paris and the moulin rouge and they do some really cool perspective things with the set it's a great apartment <laughs> he has like a near floor to ceiling window with a full view of paris with the i think the lamour sign is in the background of his window right yeah and they have like a glow up spinning windmill from Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Everything's perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's come on me. And it should be noted that I think I think it's Toulouse Lautrec already disapproves of this relationship because he's somewhat rational. I just think Christian is so dumb. Well, Toulouse is just like, "Hold up, hold up. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You can't like <laughs> like you don't you don't got this. You do not got this. She's too much for you. Just you can't handle her. Move on." Yeah. He's so needy. I can't handle him. Like, because he comes back to narrate as, like, future Christian. And he's just like, think back to your last great love affair and you will understand all the shit that we did. And I was like, but do we? Do we really? I've done some pretty dumb things, so I do. Okay. (laughs) Wait, have I told you all the dumbass things I did when I had a crush on ian from college (laughs) yeah i drank like half a bottle of vodka and then infiltrated his dorm room (laughs) so (laughs) so like i feel like i've done some dumbass shit so what all right i just find that i have issues with really dumb characters in musicals he's like for seymour krellborn you know he's now christian i don't think he has a last name Um, he really doesn't (laughs) neither of them do no one has a last name except for harold ziegler suddenly the world seems such a perfect place
girl in a material world cracks me the fuck up. So if you live under a rock, this is a Rihanna song where she's like, want you to love me like I'm a hot ride. But then the Duke sings it and he's like, I want you to love me like I'm a hot ride. And everyone is like, no, we do not. Want you to love me like I'm a hot ride. Well, so we kind of mentioned this earlier, but a lot of the songs... Like, you know how actors get entrance applause? The songs got, like, entrance laughs, <laughs> which didn't always work. It wasn't for them. Um, it was more, like, for the song choice. It was, like, at the start of a right, super modern yeah. song, we're all like, ha, it's this. Yeah, and so, again, with the, like, why didn't they just write all the original music? Did you read the New York Times review that was, like, this is a great time for people of all ages? And I was, like, if by all ages you mean that they're songs from the 50s until now, like, yeah. But also, is it? Like, this is really fun for all ages. But honestly, like I said, like, I feel like critics love using the term like this was messy, but it was fun. And a lot of times I do not agree. Like head over heels. No, but this was fun. It was terrible. But like, I had fun. I'm so ready for the karaoke tracks to come out. (laughs) Do you think they will? It would be a great time. I I guess they got to make back that 20 million somehow. I wonder if they have to pay royalties for karaoke tracks. It's fun, but just if you're looking for substance in your theater going, maybe not the one to go to. But if you're looking to see your money on stage, definitely the one to go to. Yeah, it's a very touristy show. I don't like what what's a Broadway show that would like be similar because I can't think of anything. No, because Phantom like built its reputation on Broadway. It doesn't have like this level of yeah i mean like hadestown only really started building a following after it got like um tony recognition and everyone started talking about how amazing it was but this one they literally could have done zero marketing and could have done like it's directed by alex timbers who is known for basically going all out on like visuals and they would have had people come anyway and i was like honestly the like next best thing that had that sort of um status maybe it's like lion king um, which I feel like when Lion King first came out, people mm. still didn't really take Disney theatrical seriously enough to like all want to go to it anyway. But like, as far as having a built-in fan following and like having people who would want to see it anyway, I don't even know if there's a show that would be able to match that. Yeah, and well, so I don't think a lot of it is. I don't know. Like, Moulin Rouge is a very well-known movie that a lot of people care about. But I don't think it's, like, anyone's favorite film by far, you know? It's just, like, this thing that everyone's, like, unanimously decided is okay. (laughs) Right. And then, like, and then they were, like, and then Boston started posting photos of their set. And then they're, like, we got air into it. And look at all this red velvet. <laughs> and then everyone was like, okay, 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 we're on board. Yeah, that's true. And like we added like 30 more songs, even though we didn't really need them. Yep. So I don't really know what happened there, but. They definitely I did good know. marketing. Like, honestly, marketing goes a long way. I, I, I still maintain that that's one of Prom's biggest failings was marketing. <laughs> Their ugly ass marquee. Even Tootsie too, I think, is also partially failing due to marketing. The fucking original all red playbill. Yeah, like Beetlejuice is a fucking class in marketing. Like they've got pretty not great reviews, and 
they're doing pretty fantastic right now. <clears throat> yeah. So, okay. So the Duke is weird because, you know, he's not Rihanna. Like, I'm sorry. No, I'm not even sorry. Like, you're not Rihanna. <laughs> I did kind of like how he was, like, singing this song. And then um, Satine kind of flashes back to the diamond medley. Yes. I thought that was a good take. And, and it's not that, like, she flashes back to it completely. But it's it's not like she's just, like, singing it. She sings it. But it's kind of like this thing has, like, overcome her with regret. Because, like, the arrangement for Diamonds is extremely, extremely, like, ominous. Yeah. And it's like a, she's coming to terms with the decision that she made. And while the Duke is like, hey, I'm going to make you feel like you're the only girl in the world. You're mine. And then she's like, oh, my God. Like diamonds blah, blah blah like this is what i wanted and look how i'm paying for it now and that was very cool honestly the next few songs they kind of dip into this darker side and i think they all do it pretty well well it's so in the movie she gets like raped during Roxanne. Right. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they didn't do that at they all. They take that out of here, which is probably well, they also <laughs> yeah. do this really awkward version of like a virgin where um Ziegler comes to the Duke and it's like, oh, Satine is like taken with you. She you said that you make her feel like a virgin. And the Duke is like, I like virgins. I am so into this. Which is honestly super <laughs> awkward. Um, so they cut that. And they also cut the, like, almost rape scene, which is probably for the better because no one's really going to Moulin Rouge, the musical, to see that happen on stage. Yeah. So, so yeah. But, like, definitely the next few songs are more about, like, regrets, I guess, and, like, kind of how your choices make your way into what happens now. Yeah. Well, so before Roxanne, we have Chandelier by Sia. And I fucking love this number. Um, Similar to Backstage Romance, which I, like, didn't mention earlier, is aside from, like, the really good choreo, they have a lot of movement where it's, like, Christian's running towards Satine and then the ensemble dancers are, like, pulling him back, flipping him over. At one point, they, like, throw him into the air like a cheerleader. And I'm like, he's heavier than a cheerleader so <laughs> that's a lot and like yeah like that movement stuff you know what i'm talking about yeah that stuff was really good um and so basically uh harold Diddler feel, feels a little bad for uh for christian so he's like let's take some absence the flagship alcohol of the bohemian revolution and get him drunk so he forgets about satine which doesn't really work so drink 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 Party girls, they don't get hurt, can't feel anything. When will you learn? You must push it down. You must push it down. But it's done pretty cool because the absence is this like, they make it this like neon green color. So it's extremely, extremely visible on stage. And Harold there starts this like, party girls don't get hurt, blah, blah, blah. He like starts singing that. And then... um when it gets to more of the hook, um, 
Christian comes in and he says, and I'm holding on for dear life. Won't look down, won't open my eyes. And then Harold Diller comes back and he's like, keep his glass full until morning light. And then some like random can can girl like fills his glass with another thing of neon greenness. <laughs> and like it was done so well. Yeah. Right. That was like that was like my favorite cut from the song. But I'm holding on for your life. Like, this is kind of also how we talked about um, when he sang The Hills Are Alive and it was super resonant. Like, it's one of those things where he just kind of soars above the rest of the song. And like, when he comes in with the um, I'm holding on for dear life, it just fits. So, like, I hadn't really listened to the lyrics of Chandelier before the show. And so, when he first started it, I was like, oh, that fits surprisingly well. I like didn't know that this is actually the rest of what Chandelier is. Oh, I totally know lyrics for Chandelier. We did like an acapella thing for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I never <laughs> sang this song. And I was like, wow, this is this is fantastic. Um, Aaron Tveit sounds great on this. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, they play it like he's sort of like falling into a haze. He like doesn't really know what's happening, which I think sets him up really well for um, Tango Roxanne because he's just like... Yeah in a state he's like kind of going crazy um and it it can be explained a lot like by the absent yeah also andrew doesn't have a lot of great songs before this it's like a very satine heavy show so he finally starts shining more during the end of act two and also looking at my notes i have a bullet point that just says drunk aaron is so cute (laughs) i don't know like what exact moment I was talking about, but they are in my notes. So all right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always that whole like unrequited love story deal, which like just guys being sensitive and in touch with their emotions. Yeah, it's cuter than you think it is. It really is. Oh, he's so cute. <sighs> Anyways, we go back to basically where the Duke was trying to be a hot ride. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> yeah, that scene. Um, complete, like the set complete with the longest fainting couch ever. <laughs> Do you remember that long ass couch? Yeah. It was like a, it was basically a bed that they just added a like one armrest it to. Was m- multiple beds. <laughs> like you and I could probably lay like head to feet on there and fit. <laughs> And I was watching this, like, amazing stand-up thing where, like, this girl was, like, it used to be so easy to be a girl. Like, you didn't have to work for anything. If you wanted to buy a dress, you would just, like, go to your husband and be like, oh, I want a dress. And if he said no, you would just, like, faint. (laughs) (laughs) So that was amazing. Um, Though, speaking of fainting, I do want to say that I feel like Satine didn't really seemed like she was dying as much in this show and maybe there's just too much jam-packed into the show for her to like actually have moments where she was like kind of dying mm-hmm. but she she like did have moments where she was like coughing and like there's like one moment where she like spreads the um the handkerchief that she coughed into and you can like definitely see even from the mezzanine that she has blood on the handkerchief well she didn't do anything crazy about dying in the movie either did she she fainted twice because remember she was supposed to meet up with the duke and then she fainted 
And then, and she yeah. like missed the meeting, and she also like you know fell off the swing swing in um, the diamond right. medley. But here she just like kind of coughs for like ten seconds and then moves on with her life. And she doesn't even cough herself. <laughs> yeah, which is fine because Karen Oliva is a great singer, and I would rather have that than her coughing for real. She can't waste her vocal cords on coughing. <laughs> yeah. So um, longest fainting couch. They're just uh, they're still working it out, and then at this very inopportune moment, Christian walks in. Well, no, Christian starts seeing Roxanne. Eventually, he like walks back into the Duke's house, and he's like, "Give me my girl back." And the Duke is like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> But um, <laughs> he's like, yeah, she's not yours. Well, okay. But before that, so the Duke basically threatens Christian to Satine before Christian shows up. And he's like, yo, I noticed this dude. You got to like cut him off or else. No, no, Wait. no. It's not even that. He's like, I had my henchmen follow you to his house. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm like, I don't know if you needed that. I feel like it was pretty <laughs> obvious they were together. Like, did you not see the show that they were writing? And the fact they were making out in the dressing room? Yeah. I am on Dr. Benny Sue Lentuk de Monroe. You will reject the Lord. You will shatter him. You will break his heart. But then, like, he's literally, like, in the middle of threatening Christian. And Christian bursts into the fucking duke's house like a dumbass like granted he's drunk so like i guess i can let that slide on absence yeah just like 140 proof and then he starts singing come what may to satine and satine's just like nah nah no (laughs) no i'm moving on (laughs) you mean nothing to me i feel nothing for Wait, wait, but hold on. Prior to that, El Tango de Roxanne. Oh, I thought that was because, like, at the end of Roxanne, he bursts into the Duke's house. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Um, Never mind. so in the movie, Harold sings most of it, and it's like Nini dancing. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, in this show, Antoinette sings like all of it. Not a lot has changed except for the fact that he repeats. You don't have to turn on the red light like eighteen times at the end. Yeah, I like surprisingly then, liked this. I thought the choreo mm-hmm. was great, but like this repeating of the red light line was—I mean, that's ridiculous. Goes, so it's fine, um, but it was not that bad in the movie. I felt like that's true, but also the movie it was more like a like a background scoring number, like a just a because she was kind of—I think she was getting ready to go see the Duke again, and like this was yeah. her rape scene, like this um, during her rape. And so scene. here it's more yeah. like Aaron Tveit sings it because he's like trying to stop her from entering this like relationship with the duke because he wants to be like no like we're so much better you don't have to like pretend around me and stuff like that and it's i really like the way that this is staged because he's like down stage right and she's like upstage left with the duke or something and they're kind of just like acting out their own separate scenes and um and he's trying to like reach her but he can't because he's just Drunk off his ass. His lips caress your skin. It's more than I can And then Harold Diddler's like grand advice coming from an experienced man is just never fall in love <laughs> with a woman who sells herself. And I'm like, no shit. I don't think like you need someone to tell you that. But also, 
Harold Ziegler was the one that sold her to the Duke, right? Like, like, yeah, she kind of does this for a living, but he was the one that brokered the deal. Like, he probably took a broker's fee on that. (laughs) Maybe. Or just the club. I don't know. Well, so, okay, so he bursts into the Duke's house, sings Come What May. She's like, you're a dumbass. She's like, look, the Duke is, like, she's like, hey, like, he's rich. The Duke is rich. And also, in this exact production, he's not even that unattractive. So, like, why the fuck would I go for you? And then he Honestly, I mentioned how, like, the reviews all said she had better chemistry with the Duke. And I didn't really see that. But then in this moment, I was like, honestly, right now, I would also choose the Duke. Like, <laughs> fuck this guy. Yeah, he was, well... Like, I don't know. I guess you have the factor in the fact still that she knows that she's dying. Right. But, like, yeah. He's not. But if doing she's dying, well then her legacy right would now. be to, like, you know, set up the Moulin Rouge for all her friends and, like, Harold and stuff who are still there. But, like, do you think the Duke is still sponsoring Moulin Rouge after she dies? I feel like maybe not. I don't know. If, if Harold Ziegler gets probably, his like, legal team on it, he could probably be like, well, you did have her. <laughs> legal team. And you gotta. Until she died. Yeah. Until She loved you until, until she was died. Smart. You know, that's how until marriage her works. her dying day. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, well, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so he's really sad. Yeah. Naturally. He's really fucking sad. Is this where he goes straight into Rolling in the Deep? Yeah. Oh, I yeah, thought this yeah, was yeah, a great yeah. number two, actually. Yeah. This was great. I think this was um, also probably the best, of, like one of the best, if not the best mashups. Yeah. Um, it's crazy and Rolling in the Deep, as the name suggests. And um, it starts with Aaron Tibet. And I think, like, this is one of his, like, main numbers to shine because Act One is really so Satine heavy. And I really, really, really love it because it's just, like, him stumbling out of the Duke's house. He's on the stage. And then you see, like, the entire – like, the spotlight is, like, half the stage. And then it slowly narrows as he, like, sings the first verse of Rolling in the Deep until it's, like, really pinpointed on him. And it was done really cool. And I feel like it was, like, his, like – like, the solidification of, like, what he was going to do and – it was like symbolic of his like one track mind and his decision to do dumb shit. Yep. <laughs> it was very nice. I liked that a lot. Yeah. There's a fire started in my heart, reaching a fever pitch and it's bringing me out the dark. Finally, I can see you crystal clear. So go ahead and sell me out and I'll lay your shit bare. See how. And then, um, and so he, I think he sings crazy first and then rolling in the deep. And then Satine picks up the next verse of rolling in the deep, I think. And it actually works really well for both of them because even though she just like rejected him, she was technically under duress and she still like has affection for him. And they're both kind of at this like crossroads. The first line in the chorus is like, we could have had it all, which makes sense for both of them a mm-hmm. lot. So that was a great choice. Yeah. And then the whole, like, does that make me crazy? I mean, that's fair because he is acting pretty crazy. So granted, he's also probably still drunk on absinthe right now. He loads a gun. Oh, Which makes no sense because, I mean, presumably absinthe was the night before. So even if his glass was full until morning light, (laughs) it's like it's like an evening showtime now. So like 
get your shit together. <laughs> right. Which I guess this is probably the biggest spoiler because I don't think this was in the movie. So if you want to not have that, just skip ahead a few seconds. But I thought he was going to shoot the Duke and then he threatens to shoot himself. And I'm like, well, no one cares about you except maybe Satine and she's about to die anyway. <laughs> No, but so <clears throat> the finale is um, still your song, Come What Way, Come What May. But basically, like, I think after Backstage Romance or whatever, they have like a couple of like book scenes where they do like the play that they're putting on at Moulin Rouge, right? Yeah, they like rehearse or, it. And- well, actually, in the movie, it's a play, but in the musical, it must be a musical because the teen keeps on being like, oh, his songs are so amazing. Yeah. So I guess the musical they're putting on at Moulin Rouge. And this is the other like Eurydice part where I'm like, she only likes him because he can write good songs. This is not enough for me. I think he's this like embodiment of the Bohemian ideals or some bullshit. I don't know. Um, but basically during like the rehearsal scenes, he has this there's a scene where like the poor sailor or whatever goes up to see this hot girl and he has this monologue that's like I was walking the streets I got like crazier and crazier blah 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 blah. and like even though this entire story is about Christian Satine really like even like you know like the play that's being put on Moulin Rouge like that never translates a hundred percent because at like in that scene like after backstage romance Christian still thinks that he's going to end up with Satine sort of like he's very optimistic and it's just like a reflection but then in the finale that's literally what happened because after he leaves the Duke's house he goes and loads a gun and then he like is singing crazy rolling in the deep rolling in the whatever crazy rolling in, in the streets and so then when he like just infiltrates the stage in the middle of the show and he's like i was roaming the streets getting crazier and crazier like it's it's like a hundred percent him now even though it was exact same line from before and i think that works so well because satine has this moment where she's like oh is he back to do the play or is he freaking the fuck out right now right and then he pulls out a gun and then she starts singing come what may to like stop him even though like he sang it earlier and she was like fuck you so <laughs> well she was technically pressured by the duke yeah so. the duke yeah she thought the duke was gonna kill him um so so sh- so she starts saying come what may they sing come what may together okay she fucking died also they sing come what may together and then she starts singing your song i will love you until my dying day And you can tell everybody This is your song This was a bit weird for me because again, it's like not really their song because he wrote it not for her, but also because the whole chorus jo- joins in, which I think included the Duke. Like I think i saw him also singing this song and i was like that makes zero sense oh really yeah because at first they're like the only two on the stage because they're like enacting this show and then and she sings your song as she's like dying right 
and then the chorus like starts filtering in and they like join in to like sort of support her and i'm i'm pretty sure the duke also came in at that point unless i just confuse someone else for the duke and even if he weren't there like the duke kind of just disappears for the rest of the show then so i don't even know what his deal is anyway and then after she dies he sings come with may again Honestly, at this point, I'm just kind of... She never... I mean, it's a great song, but... Oops. She never is like, oh, I had tuberculosis and I never told you. She dies. No one tells him why. And then he's just like, oh, I guess I'm pretty sad. So I'm just cry on stage (laughs) for a little. And like during the time when she's like dying and like talking to him, he doesn't even... He's not even like, yo, why are you dead? (laughs) Well, okay. To be fair, she does say like i should have told you basically it's the rent finale scene it's like oh i should have told you and he's like no it's okay it's fine but in rent she comes back to life and here she doesn't so it's 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 different listen to my heart can you hear it sing telling me to give you And then, I don't know what happens after that. Presumably, Harold Ziller finds a new whore because he's very happy. Well, Nini did say earlier in the show, she's like, I would kill to be the headliner here. And she is a fantastic dancer. Yeah. So the the headcanon for this is just the sequel. Nini becomes a new Satine. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, Christian's like, not a completely appropriate level of sad, but we forget about it because they then do a finale number that well, okay, makes but no before sense. that, it's it's really weird because he's singing "Come What May," but then the four other like I guess courtesans, including Nini, come onto the front and they do like a l- slow reprise of "Lady Marmalade." They're they do the like snaps with the like hey sister soul sister and then and i'm like why is that there like do you remember that part it's also in the cast recording i do maybe they're just being sisters (laughs) (laughs) that was just i was just like oh oh, okay sure or maybe it was like uh it was just like uh remember the good old days Sister go, sister soul, sister flow, sister. Or, or maybe they were being like a, um, like a 2008 Taylor Swift song where the last line of the song is always the first line of the song. <laughs> Remember when she did that for every single song? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're like, we're going to pull that and the last line of the musical is going to be the first line of the musical. In case you forgot what the third most iconic song of this movie was, we're just going to we're just going to remind you and then we're going to turn off the lights and then we're going to turn them back on for the encore where we're going to remind you again and then also sing new songs that we didn't even sing this whole musical just because we have extra money to throw around. So we're going to add Hey Yada well, they this. do they do like Lady Marmalade and Because We Can in right. the encore, but they also do some other things that no one remembered. I'm pretty sure Hey Ya was not in any other part of the no, show. No, it wasn't. It was not. They probably got and the rights like to it. it was like a long encore. Yeah. Real lady, mama, One, two, three. My baby, don't mess around because she loves me so much. I know for sure. 
wrote in my notes, I was like, the encore is just them having extra money left over and being like, what else can we fit in this show? Also, like, Satine and Christian are definitely part of the encore, obviously. So, like, they're just happy again. Yeah. Oh, oh, I did say something about how um, lighting during Crazy Rolling was really cool because she, her lighting was all red and then his lighting was all blue. And there was this, like, whole thing. I don't know, like, what blue is. Is he blue throughout the show? I wasn't paying that much. I thought his light was white, actually. But if you say it's blue, I'll roll with that. In Crazy Rolling, it was definitely blue. I don't know the rest uh-huh. of it. Yeah. But um, speaking of that, I don't think there's a category that this would not really get nominated for. Um, Set, lighting, choreo, best actor, best actress. Danny Burstein as Harold Ziegler is definitely a frontrunner for Best Featured Actor. I guess I don't really have a featured actress except maybe Nini, but I don't know that she would get it necessarily. Um, maybe Direction? They would probably give a nomination for Direction. That's right? a fucking lot of shit to Okay, so let's see. They're, they'll get Best Musical probably, right? Not If they don't get Best Musical, that would be the biggest scandal. Um, like, at least nominated for it. I don't They're think they're gonna win. I hope they don't win because it's it's too much of a just like Vegas show to win. And if they win Best Musical, like no one can ever complain about Broadway becoming more commercial. Yeah, ever and, again. and it would just make bands visit worse. <laughs> yeah. So not book, not score. Pr- probably direction. Probably leading actor and actress. Scenic, um, costume, possibly. They'd probably get a nomination. Right, even though they missed the fucking red dress, but the rest of it was nice. I think lighting... She had some pretty great Yeah, I think lighting was quite good, especially for Crazy Rolling and Backstage Romance. So maybe lighting. Yeah. Um, I can't really speak to sound design. We didn't have, like, good seats or anything. Okay, so the thing is with sound, the first number was kind of a mess. But I think the number was supposed to be a mess and just supposed to, like, be like, this is what our show is like. It's just, we're just going to, like, throw everything at you. And the sound design, maybe it was just because it was the first number, so they hadn't really, like, leveled it out yet. But also, it was just, like, it was kind of hard to hear individual words for that first number. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of it was just so clear. And, like, they very obviously knew what they were doing, like, you know, adding reverb for specific lines of errands that really wanted to stand out. And so I feel like it could have also just been, like, the rest of it was like we know what we're doing and the first part was just not necessarily bad but just kind of like a like huge sort of in your face thing because we wanted it to be like that because it's the first number Mm. so i feel like that could have been a conscious choice and i mean sound design is actually nominated by a specific like sound design committee who like really knows what sound design is Mm -hmm. so they're actually professionals in that i don't remember if lighting is too do we know the but the guy yeah, uh, Peter Helensky, who I th- I recognize the name. That's King Kong and Beetlejuice. Okay, cool. Um, Is the same yeah, guy? So was- <laughs> yeah. Oh my well, god. Well, so just the the director was the same. Um, a lot of the design categories they overlap a lot, but um, like costumes are by Catherine Zuber, who also did. Um, I think she did My Fair Lady too. He's been busy. She's this done year. a ton of shit. Um. Wow. Choreography is Sonia Taye, who is fairly new to the Broadway scene, but is definitely like an up and coming person to watch. She also did Rent Live. Um, and so she's definitely 
I'm pretty sure she'll get a nomination. How do you feel about um, orchestration? I think orchestration has a fairly good chance of getting a nomination just because there's so many songs and they're so different from their original forms that they really kind of almost started from scratch with the orchestration. Mm-hmm. And um, and we were kind of talking about this after we saw the show and I like posited the idea that maybe like would this be enough to get a special Tony for like music arrangement? And we kind of talked about how like even though there was a lot of arranging happening. I said no. Yeah, you were like the arrangement isn't necessarily amazing or like mind-blowing or anything. But, yeah, so yeah. That that really annoyed me because um, so I was telling you this, but the original Moulin Rouge movie, like I said, oops, something just started playing on my phone. Um, so the original Moulin Rouge movie is um, it doesn't use like super modern songs, right? Like even the right. most modern one was still ten years back, and there were a lot of things from the eighties, seventies, sixties, fifties, and. In addition to that, I do think they change the songs a little more. Like, Elton is already, like, has, like, kind of a theater sound anyway. Like, a lot of classical rock does. Um, And, yeah, and, like, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend was um, a Broadway show song anyway. And then in this, in, like, the Broadway show of Moulin Rouge, they sort of keep, like... Like, in their arrangements, they keep the general genre of the songs that they've chosen fairly intact. Because I was saying how the instrumentals for um, Royals by Lord is, Mm -hmm. like, almost identical to the original. And then when they cut to fun, like, We Are Young, it's they don't really change that much either. Like, they maybe, like... There's, like, slight differences in instrument choices, but as a whole, like, the formations are very similar. Yeah. And so for a musical where you're choosing to pick 75 songs from multiple genres spanning, like, 70 decades is really fucking weird. Yeah. Like, it sounds like several different decades of music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the arrangements are not that innovative, but I think orchestration might at least get a nod just to be like, you did some shit. And even if it doesn't work out, like, some of it was pretty out there. Like, just even the, um, like, slowing down of a lot of the songs and sort of presenting them in a new light. Because there is no, like, music director or music supervisor kind of, category so arrangements or um, orchestration might be the closest thing they have to just acknowledging that um so i think it's a they have a fairly good shot at that one um probably at a nom maybe but to me this is just like a top 40 review which like if that's what you are don't pretend to be anything more pretentious than that um Though also, so I mentioned some of like how there's like 70 songs, 161 writers, um, 25 of those songs are an elephant love medley alone. So two of the songs that they couldn't get that were from the movie were Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. And that was because Courtney Love, who was who was married to um, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, 
is apparently developing her own Nirvana musical, so she didn't want that to overlap. And then they also couldn't get The Show Must Go On by Queen because apparently Bohemian Rhapsody was happening and they didn't want that to overlap either. Uptown Funk. Yeah, and they couldn't get Uptown Funk because it had like 17 writers or something and they all agreed except for Bruno Mars. Yeah! So. Yes, the Mercury and Mars. We could have had Uptown Funk in this. I don't even know where they would have put it. Look at the lyrics. I mean, there's that girl, (laughs) jump on it. That seems like easier to... Do you think it's a Duke song? Yeah, I think or it would a be a Christian Duke song. song. I think it would be a Duke song. This hit that Ice Cold Michelle Five for that white gold. This one's for that seems like a Duke song. This one's for them hood. Yeah, girls. I guess it fits in with the whole like kind of rich them good girls straight masterpieces. That seems like a Duke line. I feel like he would do "Girls Hit Your Hallelujah." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the in the Boston tryout of this, they also had um, "Shake It Out" by Florence and the Machine in the second act, and it was like subtitled "Backstage at the Moulin Rouge." But then every like everyone online was basically like, "This made no sense." So I, then I guess they want it. you to imagine the Duke saying, "I'm too hot, hot damn." <laughs> he, I mean, if he's comparing himself to a hot rod, like. <laughs> But also, it was funny because apparently they were um, doing workshops with songs that they didn't actually have the rights to yet. So, like, literally as they were doing workshops, like, day by day, they would be like, oh, we're not doing that song anymore. They said no. Like, we couldn't use this. So, just pretend <laughs> you never learned that one. That would be so infuriating. Oh, my God. Say my name. You know who I am. I'm too hot. And my band bought that money. Break it down. Girls hit you. Hallelujah. I like Karen Oliva way better than I thought I would because I really like her as a performer. But when she was first cast as Satine, I because you know we're so used to Nicole Kidman as Satine, I was like, I don't know if I really see that. But like I mentioned, how I I do kind of like the character of Satine way more in this show than um, in the movie, and I think a lot of that really does have to do with her performance and and also like how they changed the writing. I thought she was really good. But, like, a gripe that I have is still that she, like, Satine and Christian's voice are really not a good fit together. Mm-hmm. And it's probably still because, like, we're so used to Nicole Kidman. But I've always, like, like I just feel like Satine should be, like, more of a soprano voice. You yeah, know? she's definitely, like, like, more sultry and more... Um, like a like a rougher voice, I guess, than um, mm-hmm. than what Nicole Kidman yeah. is doing. And I mean, like the fact that um, Karen Oliva and Aaron Tveit's voice don't mesh well together, obviously, like isn't anyone's fault, and it's not like more her issue than his. But I can't really think of like a male voice that would both work well for Christian and also go well with Karen Olivo. Well, here's the thing, and this might be a hot take, but whatever Aaron Tveit was doing, I feel like a lot of other male singers could have kind of done the same thing. He has like a very typical leading man voice, you know, like I feel like Jeremy Jordan could have basically done the same thing. He has a little bit different of a voice, but like it wouldn't have been that far off. Like Derek Klenna could have done the same thing. Jonathan Groff. Yeah, like so I feel like what he was doing like he definitely does it well and he sounds fantastic but it's not very special to him 
Whereas like Karen Olivo, I feel like she's much more unique and she's much less replaceable um, in the way that they craft her character and in the way that she performs the songs and all yeah, of that. Yeah, I mean, he plays himself very replaceable because he just does it like Ewan McGregor. <laughs> still, yeah. Like, yeah, but he's still super hot. Oh, and he's so beautiful. Anyways. Well, okay, so first of all, how long do you think this, I guess, deserves to run and how long do you think realistically it would well, or could run? What? Like, what do you think are the main contributing factors to why it's so popular? Because, like, if part of it is Aaron, he's going to leave, right? Right. Well, okay, so that was, like, when um, Hamilton, you know, became the next big thing, the biggest thing was just to see if it could last past the original cast. Mostly past Lin-Manuel Miranda, to be realistic. But, Mm -hmm. um, and it has. It's definitely still going pretty strong. People are still, like, struggling to get tickets. I mean, outside of theater circles, I don't think Karen Olivo is a big name. I don't think Danny Burstein's a big name. Tam Mutu is definitely not a big name. Aaron Tveit, I didn't think was a big name, but you mentioned how a lot of your coworkers were like, "Oh, I'd go see that just for Aaron Tveit." So I guess he is a fairly a bigger name at least. Um, but I think people are mostly going to see it because of like the pictures they've seen of how like elaborate their set is, and also just because. Moulin Rouge the movie is so out there that they just kind of want to experience what it would be like on stage and because it's like more accessible in terms of songs like I'm honestly shocked at the number of people that enjoy Phantom just because I feel like if you didn't grow up with that kind of style of music you wouldn't really be into it and yet here we are well Phantom had like just good word of mouth it's like the longer it runs the the more people are like oh this is a classic musical right you know um moulin rouge i hope never gets that i just i don't know i mean well to put it in perspective like i think book of mormon's been going for like maybe eight years now i feel like moulin rouge could reach at least five so maybe like our generation's off but i really like even though like i heard of moulin rouge it's a big name like people talk about it i really never felt like that like loyalty to the film moulin rouge Mm -hmm. like exceeds loyalty to like mean girls or right maybe even frozen i don't know like it's like a people. It's a movie that people know about, but I don't think it's like a movie that people are loyal to. But I think like the fact that so many people have seen this and are like, "This is something you have to experience," really speaks to how much it could attract like tourists and stuff like that. And like, like I don't think you got experience. <laughs> but I mean, like when they tour, they're probably not going to deck the whole theater out in red velvet and chandeliers yeah. and stuff like that. And and like Aaron Tivet. And Karen Olivo or not, I think it's like a show that's always going to need like hot leads. Yeah. So like they'll have to find someone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's it's definitely a tourist show. Like it's not a show for people who are looking for a super deep like story. And I, I mentioned how like I felt like they were trying to make you cry at Satine's death. But honestly, I didn't really care that much about her in the end either even though she was like my favorite character i was like all right cool <laughs> like we'll see you at curtain call yeah i mean i it 
it's not a sad death. Like, I would love to die like that. Just, like, cough a few times and then just keep being really hot and then just, like, collapse. Like, that's the best way to die. There's, like, minimal suffering. Everyone loves you. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's a great way to die. But, yeah, I mean, like, um, it's, it's, it's literally there for the spectacle. Yeah. It's got to be one of, like, the worst jukebox musicals to grace broadway <laughs> like it's not good <laughs> i think it might have been like single ladies or something where um this like old lady just like looked back and was like what <laughs> so yeah so that's the thing for so like ben brantley was like oh it's for all ages because it spans you know like 60 70 years but I feel like, to me, that's, like, the opposite of For All Ages because they, like, completely missed a specified target audience. And so, like, unless you, like, specifically look up all these songs beforehand or listen to the soundtrack, you're really going in, like, knowing 30% of the songs because they've chosen such a wide range. Yeah. Which kind of sucks. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, like... You have to be on board with it within the first, like, three numbers. And if you're not, then the rest of the show is just going to be pretty terrible for you. Overall, I would say, like, if the original cast you're into, go see it now. Maybe wait because prices might go down. If you're not into the original cast and you're just curious about it, just keep waiting and yeah, if you don't care about the cast or the movie, just forget about it. Yeah, it was it, it definitely was fun while we saw it, but it's it's not the mark of like a fantastic musical by any means. I don't think I liked it for a second. Like even though it was a spectacle, I didn't walk out being like, "Whoa, that was pretty cool." Like I always was just very lukewarm about yeah. it. All right, cool. Um, so as always, you can follow us on whichever podcast player you're using. Leave us a review if you feel so inclined. And on social media, follow us at Bottomless B-Way, Twitter, Instagram, or email us bottomlessbway at gmail.com and let us know what you think. But otherwise, we will see you at our next episode. So Yay. you'll hear us then. <laughs> but thanks for listening. Bye.